This is the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Sarah Prattley here, filling in for Peter this episode. Colorado State University released their predictions for the 2023 hurricane season in mid-April, and they anticipate slightly below average activity in the Atlantic this year. Here to kick off this year's two-part hurricane preparedness series is senior meteorologist and longtime friend of the show, Jason Moreland. As Jason will explain, hurricanes are getting more dangerous and costly every single year. Now is the time to prepare both your people and your business now before the first name storm hits. Jason will walk us through what to expect this hurricane season and provide some great tips for mitigating risks. Let's go ahead and listen in. Jason, welcome back. It's always great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. Before we get into the nitty gritty, why don't you go ahead and give us the big headlines? What are the most important things that organizations should understand about this hurricane season? Well, I think the number one thing is that Hurricane season requires about six months of constant vigilance. I think there's still a general myth that hurricanes are this easily detectable weather phenomenon that begins near the coast of Africa, and you have a good one to two weeks of preparation time. But I'm sorry to say that's just not the case in most situations. I'll have to give credit to the director of the Hurricane Center that often points this out, but of the 11 strongest hurricanes to ever strike the United States, About 10 of those were just minimal tropical storms just three days prior to landfall. I think another big thing is that employers nowadays have a lot more employees spread out across the coastline. And just for example, since 2020, Florida's population has increased by about a million residents, and it's now the nation's fastest growing state. Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, the list goes on and on. We've seen massive population growth within the hurricane zone over just the past two years. And then finally, I'd say that when, you know, you're looking at this increasingly vulnerable number of people living along the coast, we also had these alarming climate stats that are showing that we're seeing more rapidly intensifying storms right before landfall. And we're also dealing with rising coastal sea levels that are adding to the risk of flooding. Oh, that's definitely a lot to take into consideration. And you obviously mentioned the movement of people to Florida. I think it's also helpful to really reflect back a bit. Were there any big takeaways from the 2022 hurricane season that could be helpful for our audience looking ahead to this year? Yeah, absolutely. So in some ways, the numbers last year were slightly below average, because when we take into account the past 30 years worth of data, We normally get a little closer to seven to eight hurricanes and three major hurricanes, whereas last year there were only two major storms, but we really made those two storms count. Those were Fiona and, of course, Ian. And when it comes to Fiona, when it first approached Puerto Rico, it was just a strong tropical storm and it barely clipped the southern half of the territory as a minimal hurricane by the time it started to pull away. And yet it was easily one of Puerto Rico's most expensive storms. It knocked out some of the drinking water supply to a third of the population. The entire territory lost power for several days. So it really does not take a major hurricane for there to be devastating impacts. And then the storm continued on towards the north into the Canadian Maritimes, and it made landfall as one of the strongest storms in Canadian maritime history. So that's certainly a storm Puerto Rico and Canada will never forget. And then, of course, we had Hurricane Ian that came in shortly thereafter across the state of Florida. And we often think that, well, 
Floridians, they're pretty weather resilient by now. They've been through one big hurricane after another, so there's really nothing left to be surprised about. But here we go with Hurricane Ian. It caused over 150 deaths. It caused nearly $113 billion in total damage. And it turned out to be the most costliest storm in Florida's history. And by far the biggest killer in terms of direct impacts was a 10 to 15 foot storm surge that went into Fort Myers Beach. But one thing that you know could be often overlooked is that there was over 10 inches of rainfall that extended well into central and northeast Florida into some of those more inland areas that caused record level flooding along the rivers. And that also caused several fatalities as well. And the other thing to remember is that we didn't even really have our first notable hurricane until the month of September. We went from June all the way through August with really no notable systems across the U.S. or within its coastal waters. And all this really significant activity came within a four to eight week period. So there's going to be times where Mother Nature can give us a bit of a false sense of security where maybe we kind of dodged a bullet this year's hurricane season. But all it takes is a few week window of favorable conditions for all of that to change. Yeah, as you mentioned, it was definitely a sleepy start to the season, but it really packed a punch there at the end with those two big storms. Okay, let's go ahead and dig into the CSU forecast and what we can expect. Jason, what's it look like for this season? Based on the latest information that we have, it's still looking like a bit of a slowly or at least a slightly below average total year in terms of the number count. CSU is going with 13 named storms six of which of those are going to become hurricanes with two potentially becoming major hurricanes. Again, that's slightly below the 30-year average of seven hurricanes with three becoming major. But really the main driving factor behind the forecast is that we're looking at a developing El Nino out across the Pacific, which is really just a fancy way of saying that the water temperatures off the coast of South America are becoming warmer than normal. And so when you have warmer than normal water temperatures out across the equatorial Pacific, usually we have an offsetting set of factors that come into play across the Atlantic, Gulf and Caribbean with increasing wind shear and also more dry air. And both of those ingredients tend to suppress the overall number of hurricanes. But the one interesting caveat going into mid to late 2023 is that a lot of the reliable forecast model guidance indicates that the Gulf, Caribbean, and Atlantic are going to remain warmer than normal as well in terms of water temperatures. So that could help to offset those unfavorable conditions being imposed on the basin by El Nino. So that's why there is a little bit more uncertainty, I would say, this year with regard to those numbers. But even if we do get a moderately strong El Nino, that definitely doesn't discount the threat of one potentially more significant hurricanes that could be threatening the Southeast U.S. As a matter of fact, over the past 20 years, it's been a mixed bag of impacts when it comes to El Nino dominant hurricane seasons. About half of those did still produce significant hurricane landfalls. In fact, 2004 featured in El Nino, which maybe wasn't quite as strong as the one that we're expecting for late 2023. But if you remember, that was the year in which Florida had four different significant hurricane landfalls all within a span of a few months. So we're definitely not out of the woods, even if that El Nino forecast does verify. Great. Let's go ahead and transition the conversation a bit to preparedness. Incredibly important for our audience. Can you walk through some of the potential human impacts of hurricanes and how employers can really prepare and protect their employees when faced with them? Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to workplace disruption, I think the timeline in which events begin to unfold can often catch people off guard. For example, if there's a threat of a significant landfall within two to three days, this could be, again, when the storm is just a minimal tropical storm or depression. If the forecast is calling for a significant intensification into a strong to major hurricane, there could already be preemptive talk about voluntary evacuations going into effect along the coast. 
And even for inland areas, there could be talk about sandbag availability if it looks as though there's going to be a threat of heavy induced rainfall flooding that extends well inland. And a lot of those basic preparedness items that you would think of maybe before the season, well, those are going to be in really short supply once you start to have a well-defined system or especially a named storm out there. Some of the more basic supplies like storm shutters and plywood may quickly run out of stock even as additional shipments arrive from out of state. And then when it comes to evacuations and displacement, when employees are told to evacuate, most may only have this conception that there's only going to be maybe one to three days where they're out of pocket or out of town. But in the event that the unthinkable happens, say, for example, if you're in Fort Myers and you're unfortunate that your your community is the one that's hit by the 10 to 15 feet of storm surge, you could be displaced for weeks and in some occasions even longer than that. So when creating an evacuation plan, you should really account for the possibility that this could be an extended stay away from home. And so with that, you want to think about, you know, if you take prescription medication, have an accurate list of those prescriptions in case you need to refill those medications when you're out of town, or if you have kids or pets that you have to bring along with you, think about some of those necessary items that you're going to have to take on the road, especially if it looks like you might be away for weeks to possibly even months in a worst case scenario. And then when it comes to mental and emotional stress, with these storms, we think about all the physical impacts, all the damage, the debris, destruction, and whatnot. But think about all the stressors that we have in life when it comes to your occupation. Are you going to be able to go back to work within a few days? Are your family and kids going to be safe? What about your older parents? So when it comes to a landfalling hurricane, there's a lot of other variables that we often don't consider. And there's also been some studies that show that cardiovascular-related incidents tend to increase even if you're not directly hit by the worst of the hurricane force winds. So these are all things to take into consideration, especially when it comes to preparedness. One thing that could definitely alleviate the stress is thinking about some of these contingencies well before the storms ever develop. And when it comes to things like injuries and deaths, the best way to mitigate these potential things is by talking about what are the biggest hazards when it comes to these storms. And, you know, my strongly worded suggestion is that if you're ever placed under a storm surge watch or warning, you should automatically leave. No matter how sturdy of a location that you plan on weathering the storm in, um, it's really not going to be any match for 10 to 15 feet of water coming off the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean. In the case of Hurricane Ian, there were 66 directly related deaths, and that's related to flooding, storm surge, or winds. And of those 66 deaths, 41 were a direct result of coastal storm surge. And an additional 12 deaths involved heavy rainfall flooding well away from the coastline. And something that I've been talking about before every single hurricane season is that we think of these hurricanes as being massive windstorms and that the blowing debris is going to be the biggest cause of loss of life. But despite Ian being a Category 4 hurricane when it made landfall, only four deaths were directly related to wind impacts. Wow, that's incredible. Life safety, obviously, as you just mentioned, incredibly important. What about property impacts? What should folks be really looking to prepare for either right before the storm or even right now? Yeah, so right now, if your plan is to potentially weather one of these storms at home or in your business, you can start to really prepare by getting some of those non-perishable goods and items. That way you don't have to worry about going to the store and really buying up too much all at once. When it comes to non-perishable cans of food or extra gallons of water, these are basic things that can be done weeks or months before a storm ever threatens your area. Another thing that you can do is, let's say if you don't want to go the storm shutter route, if you want to buy plywood, 
Of course, you can have those measured or at least have your windows measured and you can pre-cut those and have those ready to go in case you need to install them in the days leading up to a storm. I guess one other bit of advice is that if you do go in the plywood route is that if you lay those flat, that's probably the best word of advice because if you have them upright, they could warp by the time that you actually install those onto your framework and then they won't be nearly as effective. Some other things that you can consider is to buy some backup generators or some power blocks. Of course, we don't really hope to lose power, but in the case of a big major hurricane like Ian, as many as two to three million people could lose power all at once. So even if you don't get the direct catastrophic blow from the storm, you could so easily be days or weeks without power. So you certainly want to have those backups in mind. And then also consider how eligible are you going to be to doing things remotely when it comes to work in the event that we don't have power for days or weeks. And also when it comes to preparing your home or business, I know that Florida, for example, has had many hail storms, believe it or not, into the spring months. You know, some of these things that we've already seen in the past few months could be weakening your roofing and some of your infrastructure. So it's always good to have a contractor come out before the season really kicks into high gear just to make sure that there's no weak points involved. And that way, if there is anything to address, that can be done well before a storm ever really threatens your residence or place of business. Such great information on kind of short-term and long-term preparations. Any other advice to help organizations prepare for the hurricane season? Yeah, I think really everyone should be on the same page. They should know where they're going to be in the event that a storm is making landfall. If there is the potential to make most of your employees remote for a few days, that's definitely something that I would encourage just because with all the chances that you could lose power or maybe you can't even get back to your headquarters for several days. I mean, one thing to consider is that if you were in Fort Myers, Even after the storm had passed, there were some instances of looting that occurred in the days that happened shortly after the storm. And then the local city decided to implement a curfew each and every evening. So it may be several days before you can even go back and inspect your main property. So I would definitely, if at all possible, prepare to work remotely from a distant location in the event that a major hurricane causes severe impacts. We've also seen plenty of times in which the local water supply has been disrupted. I know the global intelligence team here at Alert Media was tracking dozens of boil water advisories for weeks, even into mid to late October after Ian made landfall. So you could have cascading impacts that go on well after the storm has come and gone. So these are all things that we should probably consider in the event that something like this were to threaten us. Absolutely. And then before we wrap things up today, Jason, what websites or resources do you recommend for up-to-date information on the hurricane season? The number one website I always recommend is going to be the official website of the National Hurricane Center. It's easily searchable at hurricanes.gov. And it's at hurricanes.gov that you'll find the latest tropical weather outlook. It's updated four times a day throughout the hurricane season. And once there's any active named storms, you'll see the latest track and intensity forecast guidance. Now, leading up to hurricane season, I would also say you can check out ready.gov slash hurricanes. It's a great resource for any general preparedness tips that you may be on the lookout for. And then also when a storm is threatening, be sure to check out the state emergency management website. So, for example, if you're in the state of Florida, check out floridadisaster.org. It'll often contain all of the latest evacuation maps and a list of potential storm shelters. So many great resources, definitely stuff for our audience to keep track of throughout the whole hurricane season and even before, of course. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. It's always great to have your expertise and especially interesting to hear how all of these different factors are impacting the weather patterns, but in particular this coming hurricane season. Thank you so much, Sarah.
Thank you for listening in. Peter will be back next week for part two of our 2023 Hurricane Preparedness Series, and he'll be joined by Beth Harbold from Family First Home Care. She will share her incredible story about Hurricane Ian. You definitely don't want to miss it. In the meantime, we hope you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player, or you can subscribe on Alert Media's website. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and share. This is Sarah Prattley signing off. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.